Hello and welcome to the Enjoying God podcast, a relaxed conversation where we talk about what it looks like to enjoy God in every part of our lives. Well, I think we are created um, as image bearers of God to be emotional creatures. I do like, though, in, in the Harry Potter Myers-Briggs, I am um, uh, Dumbledore, which Ooh, I really yes. like. Oh, that is nice. Is that mm-hmm. a thing? That's a thing. But anyway, back yes, to the Enneagram. Back to, back to the nine, Enneagram. Nine, nine that numbers. is not relevant yes. at all. <laughs> so I see Jesus consistently diagnose our sin, not just at the superficial thought and act level, but right down to our emotions, to our very being. Okay, we're back. Episode five. I'm your host, number six slash seven. I'm here with number three. Hello, it's Nick Wood, and I am caffeinated and ready to go. Good to have you. And number seven. James Galea, buckle up. And if you don't know what those numbers are, that's okay. We're talking about the Enneagram today at the end of this podcast, and you'll find out all about those numbers and what it means. We are thinking about what it looks like to enjoy God in the distinct way he's wired us. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about Bible reading. We've been talking about what it looks like to enjoy God when we don't actually feel like enjoying him. And today... We're diving into the topic of healthy emotions and what it looks like to have a healthy emotional life as we live for Jesus. Now, to help us talk about that, we have Betsy Rogers, number four. Hello. Glad to join you guys. Welcome. Great to have you. Betsy is our well-being and care director here at church. She's a trained counsellor, pastor, theologian, and we are so thankful to have you joining the podcast today. Thanks. It's so great to join this conversation. Fun fact about Betsy Rogers is she's from Jacksonville, Florida. And if I you ever watch The Good Place, that is a very famous part of the it world. It is. Bortles. Bortles. Okay. And her real name is Elizabeth. It is. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Rogers. Rogers. Elizabeth Rogers. Yeah. So fancy. So Elizabeth Rogers, yes. tell us, what does it look like to have an, a healthy mm. emotional life yes. as a Christian? Well, I think we are created um, as image bearers of God to be emotional creatures, just like God experiences emotion. He gets angry. He gets, we know he loves, he, he is a jealous God. Um, we also experience a full emotional life and range. And so um, to be an emotionally healthy person is someone who knows how to experience their emotions. They know how to regulate their own emotions. Um, they are self-aware. They are present. They are mindful. They're not highly reactive people. And so As Christians, when we're called to have this kind of emotional maturity, emotional regulation, emotional health, I think um, it just cannot be independent of our Mm. spiritual life. I reckon we don't think enough about the emotions as part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Like, I really think we focus on, you know, the authority that we have as God's representatives in the earth and the way that, you know, we're distinct from the rest of creation. But you're right, if God is a relational, emotional being, mm-hmm. that means that that's something we need to grapple with as well. Mm-hmm. And I can I clarify, mm-hmm. when you say emotional creatures, you're not just talking about women. Right. Because often that's the stereotype mm-hmm. that women are emotional, but men are not. Yes. But we are very emotional. If you go to a footy game, yes. if you see us stuck in traffic, if you see us lose a job, there are a range of emotions mm-hmm. that will come from a man. That's just yeah. to clarify. And there's there's research that's shown that um, they've done a study in which they had men and women in the same room watching something that was very emotional, and they recorded watching their responses, and women had much higher emotional responses than men, and yet the men would report the same level of emotional experience. Wow. So watching something really sad on a scale of 1 to 10, how sad did that make you? The women are crying and reporting a 7, and the men aren't crying and also reporting a 7. And mm-hmm. the only emotion... Um, that's different is anger and that men report experiencing and expressing anger at a higher level than women. 
we've already touched on attention there that perhaps men are less likely to acknowledge their emotions mm, and mm -hmm. to deal with that in a healthy way. So why do you think we're out of step with our emotions? What makes it hard mm. for us to understand our emotional life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing um, we can look at is when we study from a theological perspective, this idea of total depravity, kind of in the reformed world and reformed culture, we talk about being born sinful and we talk about that we are these totally depraved people. Um, we forget what sometimes we think that that just means our minds are or that our feelings are messed up, that mm. feelings are, we can't trust them. You see this fact, face, fact, faith, feeling chart that says, you know what, if I just put my faith in, in God, if I just believe the right things, my emotions just fall to the wayside and that's fine. I don't need to worry about my emotional life. Right. Um, but the truth is we are totally depraved, which means our mm. minds are broken, our hearts are broken, our emotional life is broken. And yeah. so we can't just focus on believing the right thing or, um, kind of doing the right thing, we also need to tend to our emotions. And I think that's um, one of the, f the failures that the church universal has done is making us feel like our emotions um, are inherently sinful or inherently bad or inherently distrusting. Mm. And so we shouldn't focus on those things. We should just focus on believing the right thing or doing the right thing or reading the right thing and fixing our minds. Am I right in saying that um, our actions and our thoughts actually can't be thought of independently from our emotions. Like if I think about my own experience, the things that I think I feel like are in distinct and independent and I'm this, you know, radical, Christ, Christ, uh, critical thinker, mm -hmm. when in fact so often I look back and the reason I was thinking or doing a certain thing was because I actually felt in a certain way and it was coming out of my experience and out of the space that I was in in life. And to actually forsake our emotions means that we're deficient in the doing and the thinking realm as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. So by default, Betsy, mm -hmm. I am more suspicious of my emotions mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that in terms of what I feel or don't feel, uh, I, I get worried in that space in terms of just... And partly also too... Our culture, every well, it seems to be every plot line of the movie is trust your feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your don't repress them, and yet you're saying something a bit different there. Mm -hmm. Help me. How do I not be suspicious of? Oh, how, what's a healthy way of being suspicious yeah. of my emotions? Because you mentioned the total depravity. Mm -hmm. All of me is broken because mm -hmm. of the fall, and yet emotions are a good gift from mm -hmm. God. Yeah, that, that's a hard balance. It is a hard balance. Hold. And I think we all tend to follow or fall on either side of that spectrum. Right. So we can be um, overly emotional, overly responsive, someone who rides the wave of their emotions constantly and whatever they're feeling is the most important thing. But then the, the downside of the other side is to be blocked from our emotions, to um, ignore them, to push them away, to act like they don't matter at all. And. Um, we all have different personalities. We're all created differently, so that's going to look different. But a healthy regulating of our emotions is going to be somewhere in that middle. Um, it's not believing that emotions are everything, mm. but it's also not believing that emotions have no importance at all. And it, it makes me think of Paul's sermon a few weeks ago about talking about the Holy Spirit and the same thing of when we're the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, we should have a response to that. Um, but if it's believing that it's too big of a response, then um, it's putting him in a different place than he needs to be. Right. Um, and so I think our, we can kind of model our emotional response in that way. So uh, I suppose one response that to what you're saying is, oh, this sounds like counseling and mm -hmm. where we see this in the scriptures, this idea of 
emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you guys say to that question if someone had that thought? Well, I think, I mean, what comes to, to my head, just off the top of my head, is some of those things I mentioned about um, God's emotional breath, right? We know he's a loving God. We know he gets angry. We know he gets jealous. Mm. Um, I think you can't look at the Psalms and not recognize that David Absolutely. is an emotional man. He yeah. is writing wow. things full of emotion. Mm. Um, and then I also think that when we look at in Deuteronomy 6, when the law is passed down, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then when Jesus takes that in Matthew and says, do those same things, but love your neighbor as yourself, um, he's talking about loving God with our whole being, yeah. loving God with our mind, loving God with our, our will, loving God with our um, emotional response. And I think that's where we see it just throughout scripture. Yeah, fantastic. Well, like read the Sermon on the Mount and tell me that emotions mm. aren't significant in the <laughs> Christian life. Jesus says, you know, you think it's wrong to murder. Well, let me tell you, when you have an unhealthy and ungodly anger in your heart, that's effectively murder. The same thing with lust and sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I see Jesus consistently diagnose our sin, not just at the superficial thought and act level, but right down to our emotions, to our very beings. Mm. I've always wrestled with the emotion, and you mentioned this before, Betsy, of anger, because God demonstrates right anger, and we as emotional creatures get angry but how does our anger similar or different mm-hmm. to God's mm-hmm. and I uh, read recently where you look at Jesus that temple scene where he's thrown mm-hmm. over the tables mm-hmm. and, and that's a p- bit which I read and most people read thinking oh you know is this a bit where Jesus lost okay. it a bit And but uh, what was helpfully put out uh, highlighted was Jesus' anger is always when other people uh, or his father in heaven uh, uh, their name is tarnished, or mm, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. When it comes to him and uh, wrong being done to him, he doesn't get angry, but he gives it to God in, in I guess, in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so that was a helpful distinction in terms of what is right. Anger is a good emotion. Mm-hmm. Often we use it in simple ways, mm-hmm. like you know, you, someone's questioning your identity. They don't think you're a good, you know, pastor, friend, whatever it is. They sort of mm-hmm. question, then you sort of lash out. But right anger is when other people are damaged, hurt, mm-hmm. injustice, and that's so. Looking at Jesus, I guess he's a healthy, uh, emotionally, per- uh, emotionally right. healthy person. Yeah, because we see Jesus wept. Yeah, right. Jesus gets angry. Um, Jesus enjoys the people around him. Um, that we tend to put labels on emotions as good or bad because we see how they're reactive. Mm. We see um, the consequences of those emotions or we see them at a skew. Um, but I have found that a healthy view of emotion is to not label them as good or bad, but to recognize like that's that part of being present and mindful and regulating your emotion is recognizing when you're experiencing an extreme emotion that's just a key that there's something going on. Sure. If I'm really excited about something, like when I hear... Nick talk about his family or the NBA and he's getting really excited. Um, That's just a key to me that that is something that he's really passionate about or it's an important piece. If something is moving me emotionally and I start to cry, um, instead of being like, I don't want to cry, I don't want to be sad, it's, huh, what about this is making me sad? So you're Mm. saying the emotion is a reflection of your heart. Yes. And your heart can be sinful, right? Correct. So you, you just said, don't say an emotion is good or bad, but you're saying the emotion could be a reflection of a sinful. Yes. High so energy. I might be 
um, getting angry and repeatedly getting angry. Um, right. In 2016, when American politics went crazy, I found myself getting really angry in traffic, and I'm not an angry person. <laughs> and I would just get really annoyed at everything, and I had to stop and realize that I was actually consumed by the news cycle. And because I was consumed by the news cycle, it was making me always on edge and always mm. angry. And I needed to re recognize that that anger was coming from a place that was reactive, that was unhealthy. And so I chose to stop watching the news and stop checking my phone and stop reading everything all the time because I was living in kind of this angry place. Now, the person getting in front of me in their car and me getting annoyed by them, um, in and of itself wasn't the worst thing. It was me checking and recognizing that that anger was coming from a place um, of unhealth in me. Yes. Okay. Can I ask a question? So James mentioned before that he's, you know, not too much of an emotional mm -hmm. man. I feel stuff. Like, I just feel stuff. Um, and I, I understand everything that, that we're talking about right now, but I just want to know where to go with it. Like, when I feel mm -hmm. stuff, how do I connect that to my spirituality what does that say about my faith and my sin? How do I actually do something with this? Rather than mm -hmm. just going, yep, emotions are real. Emotions are tainted by sin. Where do I go? Mm -hmm. Well, can I uh, let me clarify? It's not that I don't feel emotions or I'm a borderline know. robot. Uh, I'm aware when I saw a psychologist that in terms of diagnosing me, neuroticism, which sounds a bit weird, but uh, I have low neuroticism in the sense that mm -hmm. things don't phase me as yeah. much as other ones. So if you have high neuroticism, life's like a roller coaster, up, down, up, down. Uh, whereas for me, life's more like a merry-go-round. So where awesome. so that's helpful to understand mm -hmm. a bit about me in terms mm -hmm. of not that I don't have emotions, but as Betsy was saying, it takes a lot yes. to get them to come out. Totally. So where I think this has been a bit helpful, that diagnosis for me when it comes to spirituality is, so mirroring that, uh, pairing that with, say, the sovereignty of God, Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy for me to trust that God is sovereign because it doesn't take much to phase me. So in terms of the, this phase of just trust God, for me, that is a very easy thing to say and to do mm -hmm. because of the way God has wired me. Mm. For someone else who's high neurosin, for them to say, trust God and to actually do it, it actually takes more faith for them. So for me, I can look down and think, oh, come on, just do it. But not acknowledging the fact that God has wired me differently. And so in the end, I might you know, try and puff myself up, but I didn't make me, God made mm -hmm. me. Yes. So I can't take any credit for that, as well as my, I need to grow in faith in other areas, uh, as well as acknowledging, mm -hmm. for me, faith is not, uh, in, in terms of trusting God, as big a thing, mm -hmm. yes, in this area. So we're seeing more and more that, that original premise that every child has a different mm -hmm. experience of their father and that's actually something really deep ingrained in the way that we function and deal with our emotions and the world. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm not like you at all, James. I'm like a duck, you know, completely cool and calm on the top, but underneath I am paddling like crazy. You don't know what's going under the mm -hmm. surface, but so often that's been a moment where I've had to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God when it's actually really difficult. Mm -hmm. So I guess we've got to explore this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And Betsy, maybe you've got some wisdom for yeah, us. Yeah, I was going to say, I love hearing this because I think um, we often can look and say, oh, this is the picture of health. This person is who looks fully sanctified. Um, you know, they're a Christian who's really mature and I want to be like them. And recognizing that James isn't going to look like Nick and Nick isn't going to look at like James and that they can yep. be healthy and have different emotional expressions um, and be able to enjoy God emotionally in very, very different ways. And it's because of 
what James t um, touched on, that you are created differently. That is part mm. of your personality. Mm. And so this is called Enjoying God in the Enneagram because that is a, um, it's just a personality test that I have learned about over the past four or five years. And it has just been really helpful for me as a person to understand who I am, how I'm wired, how I'm made, what are ways that sin has corrupted me and my personality, and then given me a picture of what that looks like sanctified. And so kind of as we continue that discussion to say, hey, yeah, Nick, what does that look like for you to take that, um, that level of emotion or the, the duck that's just internally just always anxious and always moving around? What does that look like resting in who God is? Yes. What does that look yeah. like? Where James doesn't need that, James might need to, to figure out what that looks like to actually have to feel and wrestle with the tough hard things and to, to kind of feel the pain. Well, to okay. grow in empathy for and others. And to grow in empathy for like others me. who Can aren't Can I just like clarify, do you, when you said an emotionally healthy me, do you think we default to just presuming that's, that's us? I do, I do think we all think we're emotionally healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people think, um, I don't think you wake up and say, you know what, I'm a, quite a reactive person and I, <laughs> I don't know how to regulate my, my emotions. Okay, well, thanks for whetting our appetite. We're going to take a break. Afterwards, we're going to hear more about the Enneagram. I don't need to listen to it because I'm emotionally healthy. Yeah, I've course. got it all sorted, but maybe some of our <laughs> listeners uh, might find it interesting. We'll be back soon. professional development day that we had as pastors uh, we were talking about the Enneagram and trying to work out which number we were we found it really helpful Betsy help us understand what is this personality test the yes. Enneagram so the Enneagram um, it I always laugh at like the name and it's this thing this tr starry if you google it it's like this yeah. thing that looks like a pentagram but like a Christian pentagram yeah it's like or I've heard it called the Christian horoscope but that is not <laughs> at all what it what it is um, it is merely kind of a personality test, personality assessment um, that helps people recognize who they are, um, childhood wounds, sin patterns that they fall into, characteristics of their personality, um, ways that they function under stress and ways that they function when they're healthy. And then it gives a pattern for what growth can look like. Um, it is nine distinct numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and most people fall into one of those nine numbers. Um, I like it better than other personality tests like the Myers-Briggs or Strength Fighters or things that you might have encountered because it does focus on those um, wounds. It focuses on those hard mm. parts of ourselves we don't want to look at. It doesn't just say, hey, you're a leader and you're an extrovert and yes. you're great at these things. It makes you really sit and look. I do like, though, in, in the Harry Potter Myers-Briggs, I am um, uh, Dumbledore, which Ooh, I really yes. like. Oh, that is nice. Is that mm -hmm. a thing? That's a thing. But anyway, back yes, to the Enneagram. Yes, back to, back to the nine, Enneagram. Nine, nine that numbers. is not relevant yes. at all. <laughs> so relevant. I just wanted to brag that you're Dumbledore. As we talk about, Why would you brag I like to about say that? I'm anyway, a Hufflepuff with a Ravenclaw that. wing. Okay. But, yeah. you know. So there's nine numbers. You can be, uh, you might be one number, but you can also have a wing. Yes. One to the left or the right. Yes. So the way that it functions is every person, when you, when you take this assessment, you get four numbers. You get the number that you are. And then you have a wing, which is the number to the right and to the left. For example, an eight 
would be the nine and the seven are its wings. And so you lean into some of those. And then you have numbers that you react to in stress. Um, it is always complicated to explain, but it's kind of when you sit into it yes. and you, you spend some time um, using my kind of counselor language of trying it on and seeing what fits you, um, it really makes sense. So the nine numbers, um, those listening maybe think if something off the top of your head, um, as you listen, you might think, oh, that one sounds like me. So a one is the perfectionist. Um, they're very much black and white thinking. Um, they have this strong need to be right, and they have an inner critic inside of them that is constantly louder than any other person. So you don't want to point out to the one what's wrong because they've already decided everything that they've already done wrong up to that point. Hmm. The two is the helper. They are a caregiver. They're the the kind of the perfect sitcom mom and dad. They're the first to be <laughs> at your house with a lasagna when you've had something going wrong in your life. They, they are the ones who are cleaning up the kitchen, who are, who do, who are doing everything, but the pull is that they, they are believe that they are only loving because of what they are doing for you, and mm -hmm. they want to make themselves indispensable to you. The three is the achiever, so that's your politician. That's the person who lives life wearing a mask. They're very focused on appearance, very focused on their image. Um, they want to be whoever anyone in the room wants them to be, so they're great um, minglers. They're great at kind of these kind of conversations because they they know how to read a room, um, mm. but they often aren't in touch with their own self. They only know what they want people to be. And you're a three, Nick. I yes. am a three, um, but I feel like a two, three, four, you know? Yes. Okay. You know, I feel things, you know, not being in touch with your emotions. Man, I got some emotions <laughs> that I'm in touch with. Okay. But, you know, that, that language of being like a chameleon, like you step into a room and you can be what people need you to be. That's yeah, you. I'm that ashamed that to say it, but that's with me. You. Yeah. But okay. it's worth noting, at number three, it's hard to admit there are three. Yes. Oh, yeah. You're in denial, Nick. You're in yeah. denial. Yeah. Though there was this one line that helped me. It said, you could sell a MacBook to Bill Gates. And I was like, I can do that. No yes. worries. No worries. He's got that. And that's the thing. As you listen to these numbers, the one that makes you feel icky, the one that's like, ooh, I feel exposed, is more often the number that you are. Um, so you're a number four? I am a four. And so the four is the individualist. Um, they are the person who rides their emotions, very high highs, very low lows. Um, they don't want to be like everybody else, which is great as the American on staff because I get <laughs> to always be different than everybody around me. Um, <laughs> very empathetic, very creative people, but also have to be in touch with that kind of, they want to be known mm. um, piece. The five is the investigator. So they are your extremely introverted, analytical people um, the best analogy I ever heard was that they are like an iPhone that battery is at 20% all the time. So they have to hoard their resources. They have to hoard their energy um, because they never know when they're going to run out. And so they, they need to just kind of, often they isolate. The six is the loyalist. The word for a six is often um, anxiety because they want to make sure that everything around them is going to be safe. Um, this person could potentially either be the, 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 the nervous friend who is always locking doors and unlocking doors, or the person who kind of rushes headlong into that because they want to prove how not scared of something they are. Um, it's the idea that if they could solve all the world's problems, then they could internally feel safe. So they need to make everything feel safe um, on the outside. So and you Andrew. resonate yes. with that, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm half a six, half a seven a yes. little bit. Yeah, and then this, the seven, which is James, is the enthusiast, right? So 
they it's more is more. They love a buffet. Everything Ooh, is yes. great. Um, I imagine them as a trampoline, though, because every time anything gets hard or painful, they just Boing. jump away. Jump away from the pain. Make a joke. Make a joke. Always with the jokes. <laughs> um, but they're incredibly fun to be around and great storytellers. And the eight is the challenger. So um, the eight is a person who has no problem leading, has no problem pushing back. Um, they love conflict. They love to move into that conflict. Um, if you if they get in a fight with you and that fight gets resolved, then they actually feel closer to you, that they kind of thrive in that conflict. And then the nine is the peacemaker. So the peacemaker is um, kind of what you would consider your classic stereotypical middle child where they just are used to having to navigate everybody. So instead of focusing on their own needs, they just focus on the needs of other people. Um, and often just never really express any desires or wants that they have. So those are the nine. So wow. am I right in saying that, um, you know, we started by saying everyone has a different experience of God and everyone's been made differently. This is a tool for us to go a little step further and actually say, well, this is actually kind of what I am like and mm -hmm. this is kind of how I do relate with God and this is kind of how I do fall into sin and this is mm -hmm. kind of how I do need to grow. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So it's... It, is meant to act a bit like a mirror so we can say, ooh, this, this describes me accurately and there are parts of this I don't like and parts of these, this that I would like to see grow and improve so that I can enjoy God, that I can know myself and that I can love others better. Because when we were doing it, it did feel a bit like a mirror mm. in the sense that uh, often you just, like with a mirror, you sort of, you know, you've lived with yourself all your life so you don't really know any different or, but this as I was going through the material and I was looking at myself as a number seven, there was things which I was like, oh yeah, I resonate with that. And other things which I just presumed are either normal mm -hmm. for everyone's experience, realizing no, wait, it's just more my experience yeah, wow. as number seven. And it put words to my experience mm -hmm. in terms of those kind of things mm -hmm. like, uh, well, for one for example, spin anything, reframe it to be a positive experience. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, I just thought everyone did that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but my tendency is even, you know, as the, someone said, James, you could turn even Auschwitz into a positive thing. <laughs> wow. And I was like, okay, but that's yeah, a bit too far. <laughs> but we're still recording. Yeah, we're still recording. <laughs> but the sense that there's that spinning thing and not being able to sit in the pain that actually if something mm -hmm. is bad, yeah. it is bad. And it's okay for it to be bad. And this is why I love the Enneagram. Because if we're talking about enjoying God, if we're talking about different sanctifications, if we're talking about emotional health, for you, as someone who can reframe anything to a positive, you need to sit in that pain mm. a bit. I, as a four, am someone who loves melancholy. I can swim in the deep end. I can get lost in pain to the point that it's all I have done is ruminated on that specific thing that is causing me a problem. And for me to be in touch with my pain is not health because that's yeah, wow. that's the neighborhood I feel very comfortable in. For me to actually be able to say, you know what, my emotion, what I'm, if I'm feeling sad today, probably in 30 minutes I'm gonna feel something different mm. and so don't get stuck in that emotion. And so for both of us to have growth and sanctification, I can very easily find those verses in the Bible that talk about my emotional self and I can maybe just cling to that and be like, oh, my emotional self is the highest good. Um, and, and that is not helpful. And that does mm. not help me enjoy God better because I need to move to that place of, of trusting him um, 
or allowing space for that kind of more rational piece that yes. I don't always experience. And what I loved about the Enneagram is not just understanding yourself, but how you relate to others. Mm -hmm. And I think you pointed us to a website, the Enneagram Institute, mm -hmm. where you can look up and look up your number and see how you relate to all the different numbers. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful. I'm pretty sure my wife is a nine and just looking, okay, how do I relate mm -hmm. to a nine? And what are the strengths and what are the, maybe the problem areas? And same with my colleagues and a really helpful tool, mm -hmm. isn't it? And it's really helped me love others well um, because there might be something that I naturally clash with, clash with or that I nat naturally annoys me. And being in a meeting and having that person show up with that, per that part of their personality, um, recognizing, like for example, an eight who likes to challenge, who likes to push back, who likes to, to um, speak the truth no matter what, as the sensitive for it can, I can take it personally and it makes me feel bad. But then I recognize that there are people in my life that I love that are eights. And when they're doing that, they are not being personal to me mm. and that I can love them well by pushing back, by mm. engaging with them, by, by speaking as direct with them. And they don't want me to crumble in tears on the floor. Mm. Um, that's not helpful for them. And so I can love my friends when I know their numbers, when I know their personalities. And even when I see them acting out of their wounds, when I see they're acting out of their pain, I can have more compassion yes. and empathy for them. So bring in the scriptures and God into this because, you know, are we saying, oh, I, I'm, I'm a three, I relate to God only in a three way yeah. and I don't relate in these ways. Mm -hmm. How do we make this yeah. a Christian conversation? And that's what I'm going to say is like with anything like this, I'm always going to hold it loosely and right. I'm always going to say this is not the Bible. This is sure. not... Um, truth. This is not um, a higher good than the Bible. And recognizing that um, even if I believe that we all have different personalities and God is calling us to be different people than who we are, I cannot use my personality as an excuse for a sin pattern. Right. I can't say, like I said, like, oh, I'm just a four. I'm just emotional. Yep. So I'm not going to work on becoming better in that area mm. or I'm just a three I'm I'm you know Nick as someone who can be a, a chameleon um knowing that about yourself but not but not allowing yourself to just be that person mm -hmm. and say you know what I don't have to be <clears throat> authentic or vulnerable or real with people mm. because I'm a three I don't think that is mm. helpful at all let's talk practical takeaways uh, what are the practical things we've taken away from the Enneagram that we think is going to be really helpful for our listeners? Who wants to kick us off? Well, I think as a where it's helpful for me is even just living out that verse, bear with one another, because people God, either God has made us differently, and so there are others who that are number one who are more perfectionistic. Some on staff team who. Um, you going to name names? No, well, don't, I don't, don't name do names because I think you got to identify yourself <laughs> as your own number. Though I did want to get shirts made, but <laughs> Betsy said no to that. <laughs> as a bear with one another, as in they would be highly critical about the work they do. And for me, as more a seven, I'd be like, oh, come on, it's fine. Like, you know, it's, it was 70%, you know, done. And so th th that's, that's pretty good. That's almost a distinction. Yes, 70% for me is great. <laughs> uh, but in terms of the bearing with one another, they're different. So they have a higher standard. They're aiming for 100%. And so neither is good or bad. Uh, and so bearing with one another in terms of the way we work together is going to be different. Well, uh, I think on that, it's like the body of Christ, right? It's not just seeing the, yeah. 
the pitfalls and the the um, weaknesses of another, but also seeing the strengths of a one and thinking they're going to bring some some drive and a desire to make things really good for the kingdom. Yeah, um, which has just been really awesome to see as well. I think also as a preacher, it's been helpful to me that as I preach to a congregation, there's going to be ones and fours and sixes mm-hmm. and nines and uh, and so sanctification for each of them is going to look a bit different because. Uh, it, it just broadened the way I preach in terms of application mm-hmm. to not just preach to the sevens, mm-hmm. uh, who's by default me, but what, is it, what does sanctification look like for someone who is a two who's a helper? Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that look like for someone who's a five or a, or a nine who's a peacemaker and you see verses about um, addressing conflict in the Bible and all that kind of stuff. Mm. What does that look like? And so it sort of broadened my horizons, mm. uh, the way... That I apply the scriptures, particularly in preaching. And I think that is such a beautiful picture of the church and how, if we're talking about enjoying God and talking about how we're all different, and that recognizing that the strengths that people bring in their personality allow them to enjoy God in a different way than maybe I do. And so I don't want to judge someone who enjoys God by reading deep theology books when I enjoy God by throwing on some music and going and walking on the harbor or Mm. um, that it's going to look different and we can tend to want to judge other people for what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. Can I speak quickly to just like a personal way that Enneagrams Mm -hmm. helped me? Like as a three, thinking about the achiever and wanting people to really like you and admire you, I've gone on a bit of a journey to enjoy God more deeply and to think how much of the way that I'm functioning as a person, as a pastor is actually to um, project or win the approval of others and how much is actually to draw near to God and to honor him and to love him deeply. And so it's been just kind of this almost like a soul searching Mm -hmm. moment of going, well, am I living for the audience of those in front of me or am I living for the audience of one that is God? Now, I know that's my experience as a three, but Mm -hmm. I'm pretty convinced that if you were to go and do the Enneagram, work out your number, you're going to have a similar journey that's going to draw you closer to God and going to foster a deeper enjoyment in Him. Nice. All right, well, obviously, in this amount of time, we can't really dig deep into the Enneagram. Betsy, what's a good next step, good resource? Yes, great. So we, in 15 minutes, there's no way to get into this, but there's a great book called The Road Back to You by a man named Ian Morgan Cron, which is a great um, first step. He just kind of really lays it out. It's from a Christian perspective, so he lays out what sanctification could look like for each type. He also has a podcast called The Typology Podcast, so if you don't really want to read but you want to look into that, Um, You already mentioned the Enneagram Institute Mm -hmm. is a website that has really great resources. Um, And then I'm a nerd, and so I have an app on my phone called the Ennea app that also has a lot of great resources. And so if anything we talked about, numbers can get confusing, but if if you got interested at all, quick Google search, that'll be some great things that you can find. Yes. Nice. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you for joining us. This is the Enjoying God podcast. We'll see you next week. What song will you play? A Thousand Miles? You know I walk a thousand miles If I could just see Oh, I was joking. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>